worsening economic crisis in Sri Lanka, the government has restricted the sale of fuel. That comes days after Prime Minister said the economy has completely collapsed. So what's caused the crisis and what are the consequences? I'm your host, Hashem Ahbarah, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Joining us in Colombo is Jihan Pereira, Executive Director of the National Peace Council of Sri Lanka. In Nottingham is Tamil Ananta Vinayagan, lecturer in the International Human Rights Law at the University of Nottingham. In Colombo, Chayo Damsinga, economist at the Frontier Research. Welcome to the program. Jihan, when the Prime Minister says that the country's economy has completely collapsed, what does that mean for Sri Lanka? Is it a strong indication that the economy itself has become now dysfunctional? Well, what we are very concerned about is that the Prime Minister is saying the economy has collapsed, but he is not saying what's going to be done about it. What is the plan forward? We expected this of him. In fact, when he was appointed Prime Minister, a person who uh, was uh, has only one seat in Parliament, uh, but has been a Prime Minister five times in the past. We expected, and the people expected, that he would be uh, take us out of this morass that we are in, with his experience of, of governance and his uh, international connections, his uh, knowledge about parliamentary procedure and governance in general. But we have been very disappointed since then because mm -hmm. what we see since his taking over is a progressive deterioration in the situation. The lines for petrol and diesel and cooking gas are longer than ever. I mean, in fact, there has been no cooking gas for the last two, three weeks. Um, so the power cuts are once again growing. The government has said that government officials should work from home for the next indefinite period. Schools are closed. Mm -hmm. Universities are closed. It's absolutely shocking, yes. So when, when you say the economy is collapsed, I mean, what, what does that mean? You, you have to find a solution to this, not say merely say that the economy has collapsed. And so we are really very upset and disappointed. People are very angry about this okay, okay. because they expected much more from, from the prime minister and from the government. But what we also see is that it's like almost politics as usual. The side, we expected a small interim government, an mm -hmm. all-party government that would govern for a short period of time. But what we are seeing is a big government and talks about more ministers being appointed. For what purpose? <laughs> so we are actually quite upset. Mm -hmm. Tamil, is it fair to expect the Prime Minister, Ranil Wixamange, to fix overnight the structural problems and many years of mismanagement in Sri Lanka? Many thanks for this uh, thought-provoking question. Um, I don't think so, uh, simply because ever since post-independence, like many other Global South countries, uh, Sri Lanka is in the chokehold of a third-world elite that has enriched itself but marginalized and uh, completely impoverished the peoples. And right now we are seeing the situation where the people have to pay the bill for um, a range of issues, such as the, the populist tax cuts, uh, the ban on chemical fertilizers, uh, but also for uh, the worldwide decline of uh, garment uh, rubber um, 
And in the case of Sri Lanka, um, exacerbating the situation, we have seen the pandemic that had some devastating impact, but also um, the dwindling um, income through uh, tourism after the ESA bombings. Now, all of this is contributing to a situation that we have a toxic stew in Sri Lanka that was um, very much uh, instigated by a third world elite. Ranil Vikramasinghe and others uh, who are currently at helm, um, like Gian said earlier, uh, have just only uh, contributed uh, to a situation where they have not really explained what is uh, going to happen now. Um, and I'm definitely, to answer your question, not very po positive that the same people who have created the problems are going to solve the problems in the very near future uh, amid uh, an international um, orchestra uh, that is coming from the IMF and the World Bank. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think that this problem will be solved uh, nationally, there needs to be an international and in particular regional effort uh, in form of a global South solidarity among regional states. Chayu, now, what would you expect the Prime Minister to do when you look at the picture, and this is what you get, a very somber economic reality. You don't have revenues, you don't have uh, currency, foreign currency reserves, you've been battered economically, the tourism industry has suffered massively, you don't have you're not generating revenues, you don't have cash to pay for services. Uh, so how to move forward? You, you seem to be in a, in a very vicious cycle here. Very much so. I mean, moving forward and to the fact that Sri Lanka has fallen down to such a level, uh, our reserves, effective numbers might actually be close to zero in terms of foreign currency reserves. Uh, there are there's challenges in meeting rupee payments that the government has to its uh, state sector workers, salaries, contractors, all of that. So when you're at this point, there's actually very little that you can do to as a government, as anyone to do to immediately solve the issue, like was said. But there are things that needed to bring in confidence, both for now, but also bring in some sort of resolution for the future. What we're seeing right now is that neither of these are really happening. You need a budget to come in really fast. You need to move fast on debt restructuring negotiations. You need to move fast on making sure the welfare net that we have that, that helps the poor survive in this kind of context actually functions right now. These are things you need to move fast on, and that's not something that happened. The budget is now only expected, an interim budget is only expected to come in sometime in August when we realistically should have had it at the very least sometime in March or April. But it, that kind of delay does not really bring ahead, even in our multilateral engagement with the IMF, with the World Bank, even with our creditors, doesn't really inspire confidence when we are delaying things so far. And then on the local side, but also with other partners mm -hmm. that we're dealing with, the fact that the people are continuously calling for the president to resign for an actual change in the governance system, at least for the short term, to an interim arrangement, hasn't really worked. And that's led to a complete crisis of confidence in the local economy. And that's part of the reason why, for example, remittances aren't flowing into the formal mm -hmm. system. Exporters do not have confidence in Sri Lanka keeping money abroad. So things that could help Sri Lanka in the short term are also not working because there's a complete breakdown of trust in the system, the economic system, the political system. And without these kinds of things changing and without actual action being taken, Taken on the economic front fast without delay, really there is no practical way forward. Things will get worse unless these things are moved on. Mm -hmm. Jihan, this, these are challenging times. However, they could provide some sense of clarity, particularly when it comes to the future. But I would like to ask you this question. It was quite obvious since the start of this crisis that one of the fundamental problems with Sri Lanka is that it relies heavily on imports, but ultimately does not have 
enough revenues to pay for these revenue for these imports. Last year, you paid something like twenty billion dollars for the imports, but we don't have you don't have the revenue to be able to do that anymore. Yes, you're you're, you're perfectly right. I mean, this is this problem started long time ago. It is not. Uh, only this government that is responsible or that has to blame for this. This problem started a long time ago when we went in for the free market system and uh, detached ourselves from our earlier commitment to a more egalitarian society. We had that. We had a society that was more concerned about preserving social welfare, socialist measures, but even at that time, it was you're consuming more than you're producing. And instead of focusing on generating greater production, uh, we went in for more trade type of uh, uh, economy, import, export, but importing more and borrowing all the time we were borrowing. So we were all the borrowing and then with, that, with those borrowings, consuming. And along with that, I think one very big problem in our country has been the lack of accountability. That when, when politicians and public servants, when they do engage in corruption, they are not punished. So along with the borrowings, we, we misallocated our resources. We, we went in for grandiose projects, airports without passengers, without planes coming in, ships without ports, the tallest tower in South Asia without uh, being able to open it even. Mm -hmm. Huge amounts of uh, infrastructure and also along with that corruption. And in fact, where that is concerned, I'm, I'm afraid that Chinese, uh, the Chinese role has been pretty bad because they gave us money, large amounts of money without the necessary checks and balances that, that uh, say private sector investment would have mm -hmm. or multilateral aid would have brought with it. So the monies that we got, we, we didn't use it well. Mm -hmm. And now we can't repay all the loans that we took. And that's, I think that's at the core of it. So, and if you look at our roads, we have so many luxury vehicles. Mm -hmm. it's, it's incredible. SUVs, Mercedes-Benzes, BMWs, the gap between the rich and the poor has increased. Uh, so we have to restructure our economy the way we think. We need, we need a new generation okay. to lead us. And so there's, there's a desire that this, in fact, that, that is epitomized in what the young protesters are saying. They said the president must go, and also all 225 parliamentarians must go. They are okay. rejecting politics totally. Tamil or could be the moment to reset the economic and political priorities, because when you look at the Rajapaksas themselves, they have... Uh, ruled over a political dynasty that pursued an aggressive policy. But then we, we're getting indications that all those policies backfired to the point where in 2019 they decided to massively cut taxes, which could have given the government something like $2 billion a year. They end up having something like 50 million in foreign currency today, which means they weren't able to pay for anything they would like to import. I mean, you, you got a very good point, and there were also previous speakers made very good points. Um, I mean, the third world elite in post-independence Sri Lanka um, is is governed by dynasties, and they have passed on power from one to the other and borrowed money from one to the other and engaged in grandiose uh, projects. 
It's like giving a, a credit card or several credit cards to a 16-year-old child. That is this third world elite right now. Um, and uh, in cooperation or in collaboration, rather, with um, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, we have seen that uh, there is a new liberal uh, colonialism, um, a neo-colonial um, colonialism, um, en encroaching upon uh, the people in Sri Lanka and the country. Uh, Sri Lanka, as the, one of the speakers mentioned before, uh, in the 1970s was one of the first countries in the global south that had opened up to a neoliberal trading system. And uh, the major, major, majoritarian elite, sorry, um, had used borrowed money in order to intoxicate its people uh, by using also nationalist and, and religious uh, extremism um, in order to enrich themselves. So what I am fearing right now is uh, that the current government, like previous governments, are, uh, as Gihan said mentioned earlier, um, not accountable, um, and they won't be held any accountable in the national setting as of now. But they are also dealing with an international uh, framework, namely the International Monetary Fund and the uh, World Bank. Um, and it is uh, like uh, Thomas Sankara, the great leader from Burkina Faso, said once, the origins of debt arise from the origins of colonialism, and those who lend us money are the same was colonized before, mm -hmm. and they are those who are used to manage our states and economies. And while we have a completely unaccountable um, domestic elite, we have also an international elite that is unable to um, be held accountable. Chayu, let's 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 uh, dissect some of those components of this economic failure. You have a fa uh, 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 defaulting on debt payment. At the same time, you cannot purchase fuel from abroad just for the simple reason is that your local fuel company, which is uh, the Ceylon uh, Corporation, is owed something like $700 million to the point where Western companies are saying you have to be careful dealing with Sri Lanka from our own words. Um, yes, I mean, the, the underlying factors of our economy, as was previously said, has been around for a while. I wouldn't actually say it started in the 70s. I think it started. Uh, much earlier than that, the fact that we had a very import-driven uh, system. That, that's not only in terms of our uh, direct import consumption, that is, for example, the fuel for our cars, but it's also in terms of the raw materials, even for things like local production. This recent government uh, that came in, for example, uh, had uh, as one of its policy priorities, local production, some uh, strong protectionist policies, which ultimately led to a lot of export access uh, having some issues with it, it didn't really lead to a lot of financing going into those export activities, but rather into domestic consumption-driven uh, policies, into policies that expanded upon that domestic consumption side. Now, the all those tax cuts again aimed primarily at the rich, and with the idea that growth will help, you know, we can have better industrialization with tax cuts. But we are seeing right now the con the consequences and what kind of industrialization uh, we're in. I'm joining this interview right now in a power cut, and that's not the kind of environment that is conducive to any sort of growth, any mm. sort of development and the like. Now, our foreign exchange reserves, that's a key part of it, that it fell down so low because after 2019, after the tax cuts really, you know, uh, really brought down our financial status as well as the impacts of the pandemic, Sri Lanka was downgraded to a point where we couldn't access international capital markets. So at that point, what Sri Lanka should have done is started stocking to our creditors started engaging with the IMF and trying to come some, some sort of solution to get out of the crisis, but rather we just doubled down and we called them homegrown solutions. 
uh, but we're seeing what those consequences of the home goods solutions are. Mm-hmm. Keeping the exchange rate fixed, uh, for example, using up all our reserves to pay debt, uh, you know, to finance different different kinds of things into what we call non-tradable sectors, uh, you know, things that build up production, but without any real benefit in terms of the financial income that the mm-hmm. country itself gets. And we are at that point right now where the consequences of all those decisions okay. have really taken a fragile economy, worsened it, and now we're facing those consequences. Okay. We have many other angles to cover, so I will ask you questions and I'd expect you, gentlemen, to give me some, offer me some very brief answers, if you don't mind. Jihan, the Prime Minister is saying the only option available now for Sri Lanka is loans from international lenders. This is why they're talking to the IMF and others. And you know the conditions that come most of the time attached to those uh, loans. Uh, is it a good step forward? I think the way out for us is is the international community. The goodwill have to now rely on the goodwill of the internationals. In fact, I mean, we have been sustained and we have been buffered for the last two months through Indian credit lines. I mean, India is itself not such a rich country and we are really grateful that India has stepped forward uh, to support us at this time of great, great need. Um, ironically, we. The IMF used to be very controversial in our country. It still is to some extent. Mm-hmm. Our, our people were told that if you go to the IMF, they will impose all sorts of conditions on you. Uh, they will cut the social welfare. Uh, they will make us uh, sort of neoliberal, tie us with the West. But actually now people, in a way, we want the IMF to come in because we think that if the IMF comes in, they will ensure that the loans that they give that are given to us will be used properly, that it will not be stolen. It is so bad and crude as that, Which that is... we feel that whatever foreign loans we get, that it will be robbed. And IMF, will, with its systems, will ensure that that will not happen. And we think that even the other countries, okay. the US, Japan, Japan has said, first get IMF, then we will come in. And we think it it's remains, because it remains they want to be accountable. It remains debatable, as you know, because people are really divided about the notion of having to uh, seek the help from international uh, lenders. Uh, Tamil, you have 20% of Sri Lankans who come from the middle class. Those people had high hopes that life was going to be much better, that they could be taking part in the political and economic uh, uh, sphere, now they feel betrayed, abandoned by their political elite. What's next for them? Well, uh, frankly, um, history shows us uh, that there will be um, an economic turmoil also for the middle class who had been hoping to see a g- greater share um, in the well, um, well-being of the state uh, and the wealth of the state. Uh, history has uh, taught us from Greece, Argentina, uh, Peru uh, and uh, uh, you know um, Eastern Asian countries, where um, and there I have to disagree with uh, Gian uh, vehemently because academic um, research is pointing out to the devastating impact IMF, World Bank um, have also on the middle class and also the most vulnerable, uh, because I do think that structural adjustment programs will uh, not only um, further uh, further the neoliberal uh, ideology, but also cut more um, on the state, uh, leading to more impoverishment among the people. Um, the way forward, uh, in my frank view, uh, is uh, to forgive debt. Uh, we have uh, surrendered us to the IMF, World Bank, India, China. They're not doing this out of goodwill and philanthropy. 
They're doing that because they want something, mm -hmm. and that is structural adjustment programs, regional reasons. So um, I, to answer your question, I'm frankly afraid for the middle class, and they are going to see um, a downfall in the current economic structure. Chayu, what does it mean when you have inflation for food hitting 57% uh, currently now in Sri Lanka? Yeah, I mean, the significant part, the main reason for the inflation in Sri Lanka is the fact that over the last two years, Sri Lanka, the Sri Lankan government decided that the best way forward was to print a massive amount of money, trillions of rupees, uh, were printed with the budget deficit was monetized through that by cutting taxes we printed money instead and that's been absolutely massive and the thing is the fact that we come down to such a low point means that it's actually quite difficult to reverse that kind of situation uh, without actually having massive uh, revenue raising measures and right now we can't have massive revenue raising measures especially ones that are bringing revenue a lot at this, uh, uh, in the short term mm -hmm. which me and the fact that you know, pro progressive taxation while a good idea it takes time to really implement and bring in okay. revenue so you might even see further inflation coming up and that's obviously really really terrible for the citizens of the country those of us who live here okay. will have to deal with the consequences of the very protectionist inward looking you know, anti-international policies that uh, the country has decided to go into it will be a mammoth task to see the prime Minister reversing those trends because when you look at this current situation, debt is at $51 billion, current consumer inflation 30%, and the foreign currency reserve stands at something like 50 million. Thank you very much indeed, Jihan Pereira, Tamil Anantaviyagan, and Chayo Damsingi. I really appreciate your insight. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al Aishi, Osama Aluni, Fungin Win, Abbas Asim, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was Yasir Rahmani. The program was edited by Vishnu Shira, Lin Win, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday. Thank you.